This morning we're going to be reading from the gospel according to Matthew. Matthew chapter 6. We're actually kind of picking up where we left off last week in verse 16. And when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do. For they try to look miserable and disheveled, so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, but when you fast, comb your hair, wash your face, then no one will notice that you are fasting except your father, who knows what you do in private, and your father who sees everything will reward you. May we be blessed this morning by the reading and the hearing of these words in our scriptures. Let's pray. Good morning, Lord. We thank you for this time, this place, this opportunity that you've given us to be able to gather together with family and friends and loved ones, to lift each other up in prayer, to to join our voices together in singing praises, to be uh, just blessed by you by being in each other's presence, seeing the children, all those children, and their smiling, happy faces, hearing the choir sing, and and, uh, knowing that uh, we have such talented persons in this congregation that are just willing to share the musical gifts. We give you thanks. And now as we turn our attention to your scriptures, we, we pray that you would open our ears together that we might hear. But more than hearing, that we might listen. Because we know that there's a huge difference between hearing and listening. And that through our listening, we might be transformed. Not not necessarily listening to me, but but listening for your voice. So that it is your words. Words that carry the power to transform our hearts. To be the people that you've called and created us to be. Shape us. Help us to not get in your way. Bless us. For all these things in your most holy and precious name. Amen. So just as a reminder, um, because I want to make sure that we don't get lost in the idea that we're just sort of thinking about um, spiritual disciplines. Even though we are looking at spiritual disciplines, there's a purpose for it, right? There's a purpose for spiritual disciplines. It's not just that we have some things that we can try which might might not be fun. And I don't know about you, but a lot of times um, I'm not good at spiritual disciplines, and I have to change them up. So, like, the more I have, the better off I am. Because, like, for example, um, I always think, boy, journaling would be a lot of fun. And then I do it for about three days, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, journaling is horrible. Um, Right? And so what I've reached the point in my life with that spiritual discipline is I keep a journal near where I sit. And so when I do want to write things down, I can. um, But I'm not forced to do it. Right? And so that's kind of what we are with spiritual disciplines. And in this particular sermon series, remember, we're going to talk about spiritual disciplines actually all the way up until um, June. And, uh, but these particular ones that we're looking at right now for these four weeks, we're in the third week right now, 
is, has to do with how do we grow in peace. And when we talk about growing in peace, I'm not, we're not talking about like um, necessarily peace between us. Um, we're talking about peace within us. Because here's the thing. When you have peace within you, you're more likely to be at peace with those around you. And so rather than just spending time and saying, okay, we need to be people who make peace, right? Um, If I don't spend any time opening myself up to God and saying, all right, God, first you need to make peace in here, I will never be a peacemaker, right? And Jesus tells us, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. And so if I want to be that, I have to allow myself to be transformed into that by allowing God to change me from the inside out. Too often, I believe, and this is just me, uh, you can disagree with me, I know that that probably happens every Sunday. But here's the thing. Um, We too often as Christians, seem to be focused on the outside and not the inside. We're more worried about behaving the right way, acting the right way, saying the right things, when inside, there's been no change whatsoever. And so we start to think that Christianity has to do more with sort of this moralism rather than this transformation that takes place through the power of the Holy Spirit. We can, it, there is a moral aspect to it, but the moral, the morality changes when the inside changes. If the inside doesn't change, there's actually been no transformation. Does that make sense? And I can't help but wonder how many of us are running around just trying to fake it. That being said, John Wesley was told one time when he was talking about, uh, he was preaching, if I get into that, it'll be a different sermon. But anyway, he's preaching something, and a friend of his says, basically, fake it till you make it. Right? It was the assurance of salvation, by the way. So, um, so I guess there is something for, at least try. Like, I mean, if, right? So I'm not saying just go out now, since you're inside, you're struggling, go out and be a jerk. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is we have, to, we have to spend some time thinking about how can God, how do we open ourselves up to the transformation, the transforming power of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Because here's the thing, if I have no internal peace, my initial reaction is anger. That's, that's the one I struggle with. And I found that, that when I'm... Um, When I'm near my wit's end, my, my initial response will be anger. If I, have, if I have had a particularly stressful week and I haven't had an opportunity to spend any time with God, allowing God to work on my inside, and that by the end of the week, sometimes I can get a text message and it just be a simple text message and all of a sudden, my, I'm ready to erupt. Anybody else feel that way sometimes? Yeah, okay, good. I, misery loves company, thank you. 
but I don't want to be like that. Right? Because when I feel anger, it hurts me. And so, to be honest with you, even if I'm like not worried that I'm angry with you, I'm worried that my anger is destroying me. And here's the other thing, too, and I, I know I'm getting off on one particular aspect here for a second, but, but here's the other thing, too. When, I, when I'm at that point where I haven't had any time and to allow God to sort of work within me, and I find myself where I'm read, anger's ready to bubble up any time, it could be something that, like, and I'm, I just, Larry's too easy to pick on, so I'll pick on Gene instead. Um, but let's say Gene does something at the end of the week that makes me angry. I'm very likely, though, to take it out on Denise. Do you see the importance as Christians for us to allow Christ to work within us? Think, think about this. If we were all, if we somehow miraculously at the end of today, we were all transformed into what God wanted us to be, how much less stressful would you feel about the state of the world today? I'll just leave that one hanging there. So we're talking today about fasting, in case you didn't pick up on that. Now, I, I did, you know, where all of my good theological research starts, I Googled it. I'm just kidding, don't believe that. Um, but I did Google fasting, right? I was like, I was just curious, like, what's going to pop up, right? And you know what pops up more than anything right now is intermittent fasting, which has to do with weight. You're, it's like a, it's a thing now. It's a really, it's a really popular thing to try to control your weight or to lose weight. In fact, last last year when Denise and I started meeting with a health coach, uh, she asked me. She's like, "Do you fast?" All right. Now that's interesting, because. I have been asked before if I fast by spiritual mentors and guides, but never by a health coach. And the interesting thing to me is she's the only one that asked me all last year if I fast. That's interesting, isn't it? See, because here's the thing. In the Bible, fasting is always, always, always centered on spiritual purposes, not physical purposes. I, I have had friends who um, have decided that they would fast during Lent. And I was like, that's, 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 pretty, that's pretty good, you know, um, if you do that. And they're like, yeah, I thought maybe I could use to lose a few pounds. <laughs> okay. Um, now, in the Bible, as Jesus sort of indicates in this passage of Scripture we read, um, fasting is, is most often a private matter, right, between the individual, and God. There are, though, sometimes occasions when fasting becomes corporate or public. For example, in uh, Leviticus chapter 23, uh, there is a talk about the Day of Atonement. And as part of the Day of the Atonement, the entire community fasts. And so we do see in the Bible that there are these times when the entire community fasts. Um, the group fast can be a wonderful experience. Has anybody ever tried to do it as a church? Like, we're going to fast... That's very telling, isn't it? Um, but it can be a wonderful experience, but there's some things that we've got to know, right? You, 
you have to have a group of people that are of one mind in whatever it is that you're trying to pray for, trying to pray about, one mind in terms of fasting. And, and I know that serious problems in churches and other groups can be dealt with and relationships can be healed through unified group prayer and fasting. It, it can, it happens. And a great example of group fasting actually happened in 1756. I think it's interesting to have to go that far back to find one, but I did. And it was um, in 17, 1756, France was threatening to invade Great Britain. And so the king said there's going to be a day of solemn prayer and fasting because they obviously didn't want France to invade them. Then on February 6th, John Wesley recorded in his journal, he did it, I can't, the fast day was a glorious day, such as London has scarce seen since the Restoration. Every church in the city was more than full, and a solemn seriousness sat on every face. Surely God heareth prayer, and there will yet be a lengthening of our tranquility. And then in a footnote, he went back later and he added this, humility, okay, so he's connecting humility and fasting, humility was turned into a national rejoicing for the threatened invasion by the French was averted. In our Bible, we can see that, that over time, um, regular fasts, developed for the, for the community, right? So um, in Zechariah chapter um, 8, there is a mention of how they, how Zechariah is saying, now you, you, you participate in the fast, and it's in the spring, summer, winter, and fall. And so you, you see that there's, a, there's at least four times a year that the community is, is fasting together. And uh, you can see in the New Testament where fasting twice a week has become the habit for people. Um, In fact, the Pharisees in Luke chapter 18, they boast about the fact that they, they fast twice a week. I found this interesting too, that I I was curious. There was two day, the two days that they fasted on, I found out, were Mondays and Thursdays. I was like, huh, that's interesting. I wonder why. And here's why. It's because the markets were open on those days. And there would be more people to see them. Now we know why Jesus said, don't be like the hypocrites. Because he says this too. He goes, if you, I mean, if you're fasting... And you're just trying to be seen by everybody. And everybody's like, wow, that person's really spiritual. Look at they fast twice a week. Jesus says this. He says, congratulations, you have gotten your reward. Your reward is everyone thinks you're very spiritual. Congratulations. There you go. Everyone thinks very highly of you. Now, go back and think about what we were saying earlier about Christianity. If it is simply about my behavior, my outward behavior, congratulations, everyone thinks you're a nice person. That's it, though. That's it. Like he says, God's not impressed. Your friends might be. Congratulations, you've impressed your friends. 
Now, John Wesley took it very seriously. And John Wesley himself also fasted twice a week. And I found this out. He would not accept someone as a minister within the Methodist movement unless they themselves also fasted twice a week. If you wanted to be a United Methodist minister, not a United Methodist, that didn't happen until 1968. If you wanted to be a Methodist minister, you had to fast twice a week, or John Wesley said no. And as you can see today, that is still followed by United Methodists. (laughs) No? No. But here's the fact of the matter. There is actually no biblical law that commands regular fasting. It's not in there. I looked. Now, there's a lot of passages of Scripture that deal with the subject of fasting. Yes. Um, But two seem to stand out as sort of important for us as Christians. The first one is the passage of Scripture that we just read where Jesus is teaching about fasting in the Sermon on the Mount. And there's, there's two factors that are in this particular passage of Scripture that I think are really important for us to look at. Um, this teaching about fasting is in context of his teaching on giving and praying. Right? So let me put my glasses on. Okay. So if you look at the Sermon on the Mount, right, uh, beginning of chapter 6, is teaching about giving to the needy. Do we all believe that's important as Christians, that we should be, that we should be giving? That, that includes, you know, your first opportunity, I'm just, I'll say it, your first opportunity to give and to participate in ministry is actually by tithing. So there you go. Um, so what we, we believe in tithing, we believe in giving, We believe in tithes and offerings. In fact, I know a lot of you do that. You tithe, and then you also turn around and you're very generous to to other ministries in the community. That's fantastic. So he teaches about that, and then he teaches about prayer, and then he teaches about fasting, and then he goes back and he teaches more about money and possessions. But it's right in there, right? Um, It's as if there's almost this unconscious assumption from Jesus that giving, praying, and fasting are all part of spiritual devotion. They all are. So we actually today have no more reason to exclude fasting from the teaching than we do giving or praying. Here's the thing, right? And I do it. I chuckle when I think about fasting and how bad we are at it. Would we chuckle if, if we like, said, nah, we don't pray? <laughs> Just throwing it out there. Here's the other thing that I think is really interesting in this passage of Scripture. He says this, when you fast. Not if you fast, but when you fast. He seems to make the assumption that people are going to fast. And so what he's doing is he's not encouraging us to fast, he's telling us how to fast. When you do it, do it this way, in private. Don't make a big show of it. Wash your face. Brush your hair. Don't walk around disheveled. Martin Luther said it's not, it was not Christ's intention to reject or despise fasting. It was his intention to restore proper fasting. 
And I can't help but wonder, is, is the reason that we sort of just disregard fasting is because we live in a culture of plenty? So I said there was two statements about fasting that I thought were really important, and they both come from the New Testament. In fact, they both come from the Gospels. The second one is a statement that Jesus makes about fasting in response to the questions by the disciples of John the Baptist. The, the disciples of John the Baptist are very confused because they say, they notice that they themselves fast, and so do the Pharisees, so why aren't Jesus' disciples fasting? I mean, after all, Jesus has said, when you fast, you should do it this way, and that, but his disciples aren't fasting, so what's going on, Jesus? Why is this happening? And Jesus says, can the wedding guest mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The day will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. It's almost as if he's saying that, yes, once I have ascended back into heaven, my followers will fast. That's us. I also think it's really sobering to realize that the very first statement that Jesus made about fasting is actually dealing with a question about motive. To use good things for our own ends is always a sign of false religion. So if we, if we try to use fasting in order to get something from God, in the same way we talked about with prayer, that's false religion. Because it's really easy, isn't it, to take something like fasting and try to use it to get God to do what we want? That's not what it's about. It's not about me getting what I want. I, I, did, I didn't enter into a relationship with God so that I could get what I want. And this is tricky, right? Because here's the thing. If the only reason that I'm in a relationship with God is because I don't want to burn in hell, I want to get to heaven sometime, then actually my relationship with God is all about what I want. Being a Christian isn't about someday getting to go to heaven. Following Jesus is about being transformed now. Acknowledging the fact that we are spiritual beings who live in a physical world, who need to be transformed at a spiritual level in order to change the physical world around us. I have become more and more convinced that the problems in my life and maybe the problems in this world, if I can show such hubris, right, as to sort of, what's the problem with the world today? I, I often fix that on, Saturday, on Friday mornings when I'm having coffee with a dear friend of mine. Right? We solve all the problems of the world. But maybe here's the thing. We are so focused on the physical and we have neglected the spiritual so much that the physical is going to hell in a handbasket. I'm thinking about myself for a second. Give me a second. 
Because right? I'm not going to stand up here and, and point at you. Let me, I'm thinking about, okay, so in May, I started deciding I was going to eat healthy. And as many of you pointed out, I've lost a little bit of weight. And I'm thinking, here's what I'm trying to figure out. In that time, so let's see, May, June, July, August, September, October, November, December, January, so nine months, I'm willing to bet I've thought more about my physical self than I have my spiritual self. That's a confession. Here's the thing about fasting, right? Because if you're like, well, I could just pray. Yeah, you could just pray. But I think that fasting, more than any other discipline, reveals the things that control us. Have you ever heard of the, the term hangry? Right? It's when you get so hungry that you're angry. It might be that actually what you're experiencing in that moment is that it's anger that controls you. Right? Because if I, when I fast, I may come face to face with my pride. And I may find that pride controls me. I mean, if I'm fasting so that other people think, man, Jeff's really spiritual, then I would be willing to bet that I have a pride issue. David writes about that in Psalm 69. But what about bitterness? Jealousy. Strife. Fear. Because I'm going to tell you, if that's within you, it's going to surface. But fasting also reminds us that we're sustained by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It's Matthew chapter 4. Right? Jesus teaches us food does not sustain us, God sustains us. In experiences of fasting, we're not so much abstaining from food as much as we are feasting on the word of God. Fasting is feasting. I think it's important that we devote some time, maybe regularly, to time that we would normally use eating. So a few years ago, I decided I was going to fast from solid food. And I was going to do it during Lent. I I failed. I didn't realize that milkshakes are considered a solid. (laughs) I thought I was doing really good. Um, But here's what I did. Just like if you're trying to figure out, like, what's a good way to start, right? Maybe it's just one day. Maybe it is, like John Wesley would do it from uh, from sunup to sundown, and that would be his day of fasting, right? And so maybe that's a good place to start. But what I did is, like most, most things, I'm like, go big or go home. And so I decided I was going to do this. And, and every time I felt hunger, I prayed. That's it. Every time I felt hunger, I prayed. And, but this was my prayer. All right, Lord, what needs to change within me? Because when we are aware of what needs to be removed... That's when we can begin the work of surrendering it to the Holy Spirit. And maybe, 
we can begin to grow in peace. Amen.